Well, now, if you would open up your Bibles to John chapter 15, verses 1 through 17, in preparation this morning as Al comes on up for the preaching of the word. Thank you. Let's begin by thanking the Lord for His grace this, this season. There has been so much of God's goodness, and I want you to know that it's because Jesus Christ, His life, His life is in us. And so this morning's message is entitled, Jesus is the True Vine. Jesus is the True Vine, and it comes to us from John chapter 15, verses 1 to 17. So please turn there. And I'm going to be reading, this is a great passage, great passage. John 15, 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples." As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity this morning to preach your word. Thank you, Father, for your grace. Fill my mouth now with your truth, that your people would be built up. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's a question for you this morning. When you take a look at your life, everything that you do, everything that you say, your budget, how you spend the money God has given you, 
your relationships, your dreams, what does it produce? What does your life produce? What fruit does your life give? That's the burden of this text. And the reason I can say that is because if you look at verse 1, Jesus begins this text by giving us the seventh of his I am statements. And what does he say? He says, I am the true vine. So as soon as Jesus chose to use this figure of speech, this metaphor, a vine, he immediately initiates in us, or should, the thought of fruit. What does your life produce? When all is said and done, what are you all about? If someone were to observe you, what would they say? Oh, he's all about this. Oh, she's all about this. This is what they're into. This is what their life produces. Jesus is saying this. I am the true vine because I produce what God the Father desires. In other words, I produce the fruit that God desires. Does your life produce the fruit that God desires? Now, I need to explain something to you so you can understand the burden of this text. When Jesus chose to use this figure of speech of vine, it was very, very significant to the people he was speaking to. And it needs to be significant to us. So let me inform you so it will become more significant to you. In Jerusalem, over the temple, there was a gold-embossed vine with huge clusters of grapes as a symbol. In fact, the coins that would have been used in Jerusalem about 66 AD would have had on them a vine with branches to represent the city of Jerusalem. And here's why. Because in the Old Testament, the picture of a vine was a picture of the people of God. Israel was the vine of God, and Israel was chosen by God to give God fruit, just like we would want luscious, beautiful red grapes off of a big vine. So Israel was chosen by God, the vine of God, to give fruit to God. And now what kind of fruit was Israel supposed to give to God? Well, Israel was called by God to give the fruit of a testimony of light, a testimony of God to a dark world. That was the fruit Israel was called to give. God said this, Israel, you're my people, and I'm going to dwell in your midst, and I want you to shine as a light into the dark pagan world around you. I want you to give the fruit of my presence and of my covenant faithfulness as you are covenantally faithful to me. We're going to build a temple. My presence is going to be in the Holy of Holies. And so the fruit of Israel is a covenantally faithful life to a covenantally faithful God who has chosen them and saved them through the temple sacrifices, which all point to Christ. Israel, this is the fruit you're to give. And they failed miserably. If you read the Old Testament... They failed miserably. Actually, just just as Adam failed to image God and represent God, so Israel failed to image God and represent God. Israel became dark 
as dark as the people around them. They started worshiping the idols that were around them. They became just like the world around them. They were compromised, and their fruit, instead of being golden, luscious, beautiful grapes, they were rotten, sour, putrid grapes. Good for nothing grapes. But God didn't leave Israel in that state. God then sent Jesus, the true vine, who would succeed where Israel failed, who would produce the fruit that God so required, would produce that fruit in a life that imaged God perfectly. Jesus is the precise, perfect image. He is God in the flesh. He always obeyed God. And he perfectly represented God. And in just a few hours, after uttering these words, he will bear the ultimate fruit when he bore our sins on the cross and died a horrible death so that out of his death and resurrection and ascension, a whole cluster of grapes, a whole basket of fruit, us, would be born sons and daughters. It was this that Jesus had in mind when he said, I'm the true vine. See, Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament symbols that all pointed to him in New Testament reality. And the reason that his, his word to us this morning is abide in me so that you might bear fruit is because he then calls us the people of God. To bear fruit for God. Oh, we can't bear the fruit that Jesus bore. We cannot die for the sins of anyone. That part of it we can't do. But we can. We can image God. We can declare to our world who God is. Every bit as much by our actions as by our words. In fact, they should link up. There's the rub and there is what God is doing in all of us, isn't it? But by our words, what we believe, and by our actions, what we do, we should give fruit to God, and that's God's burden for you. If you have the notes, that's the opening line. That's the the propositional statement. That's the burden here this morning in this message. That's what I want you to be talking about on Wednesday nights when you apply. Abide in Christ, who's the true vine, and bear fruit for God. Abide in Christ and bear fruit for God. So the first question you need to ask yourself is this. What does it look like, Al, to abide in Christ? What does it look like, Al, to abide in Christ? And again, if you have the notes, you'll see there John 15, 7. John 15, 7 gives us a real clue, a real key here to this passage. And this is what it says. Jesus saying, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. We abide in Christ, dear friends, through his word and prayer in his name. We abide in Christ through his word and prayer in his name. We abide in the Lord Jesus Christ through his word. He is the word. We have the word. And through prayer in his name. Further down in this passage... He utters these same words, which just are amazing. If you you just go down to verse 16, it's just amazing when he says this. 
Verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. Now listen, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it. Twice in these verses, he's talking about prayer. Twice he's talking about amazing prayer that is uttered by people that abide in Christ. People in whom Christ's word is alive and living and powerful. And he says, whatever you ask the Father, he's going to give it if you ask it in my name. That's amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing. Now, I need to tell you a few things before we examine carefully what it means for Christ's word to cleanse us, how we abide in Christ through his word. And I need to to give you a few more uh, details about abiding in Christ before we look at prayer, how crucial prayer is. In this passage, prayer is the key. Abiding in Christ really, really is focused on this prayer, this amazing prayer. Ask whatever you will, my Father will do it. But I need to tell you something. And this is what I need to tell you. Your abiding in Christ is not by your power. It's not by your power. You abide in Christ because God put you in Christ. Now let's just take a look at a few of these passages that help us understand this. Actually, if you look right at the very first, pa- the first verse, uh, verse 1... I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Now, the vine dresser could also be translated a farmer. It could be translated, really, the person who is, is cultivating the vine. Listen, folks, God planted Israel. God cared for Israel. That's what a vine dresser does. God plants us in Christ. God cares for us. And if it weren't clear enough in verse 1, it is certainly crystal clear in verse 16. There's no doubt about it. You did not choose me, but I chose you. So we must start with this. God chose us to be in Christ. We're not going to talk about his word abiding in us yet. We're going to get there in a moment. But you need to listen carefully. You are in Christ because God chose you. And though the command is to abide in Christ, know this, it is God's power that puts you in Christ, and it is God's power that will sustain you in Christ, and it is God's power, His love, that will keep you in Christ. Because, this is another amazing passage, the Father, verse 9, the Father has loved me so have I loved you. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. We're still on this point of God putting you in the vine. Let's just get more intense here. The vine loves you, loves you with the same love that the Father has for the vine. Now we have to be careful with this metaphor, this figure of speech. Jesus is obviously more than just a vine But imagine this, dear friend, you sitting here right now. You want to know how much Jesus loves you? He loves you as much as the Father loves him. I don't understand that, but it's something I do understand. That's really good news. It's really good news. It's really good news. And it gets better. It gets better. Look at Verse 14. You are my friends. 
You are my friend. Do you know that in the Bible, in the Old Testament, there are only two individuals that were called friends of God? You might guess who they are. They're two of the most prominent individuals. Abraham was called a friend of God, and Moses was called a friend of God. Two. Jesus says that if you're in me because the Father put you in me, if you're one of my branches, I call you my friends. And why does he call us his friends? Because he no longer simply says, go do what I say, but you're not going to know why. He shares with us his heart. Look at verse 15. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. Now they didn't understand it, because remember this is the night before Jesus was going to be crucified, and they were freaking out that he just told them he's leaving for good. And they didn't understand what he had been telling them all along for three years. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be lifted up. I'm going to die. Don't be troubled. Let not your heart be troubled. So they didn't understand it then. But he revealed to them the Father's heart. He revealed to them the Father's mind. And so today, God reveals to us the Father's heart, the Father's mind. He does it in the Bible. You see, you're a friend of God. Because God reveals to you the Bible. Let me say that again. You're a friend of God because God reveals to you the Bible. What, what we're doing right now is the, is, the most, is the central function, I think, of the whole week for us. Not because I'm generally the guy speaking. It's because of what I'm saying. I am speaking to you God's word, which assures you that you are his friend. If you're sitting here and have any understanding at all about what I'm saying, it's because you're a friend of God. God calls you his friend. And you know why I know he calls you his friend? Because he reveals to you his will, his mind. When it says here, that it says, when it says that it, you are my friend... Verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command you. Can I, just, can I just help you understand that? You are not his friend because you do what he commands you. If Jesus depended on his friends being the ones that did what he commanded them, Jesus would have no friends. No. You do what he commands you because you are his friend. Gospel truth. God chose you, God saved you, God loves you, Jesus loves you as the Father loves Jesus because Jesus loves you in, in himself, in the righteousness he gives you, he's God. And therefore, as his friend, he chooses to reveal to you his mind. And so his word is the way we abide in him and his word assures us that we are in him. And therefore, you will obey him. Because of the gospel truth that I just said that's in this Bible. You don't obey him to become his friend. You obey him because you are his friend. Isn't that great? Do we obey him perfectly? No. He's the only true vine. We're the little branches. Now we're going to get into, from your notes, as little branches, how do we abide? Remember the gospel truth that we just spoke, that just splashed all over this passage. That's all true. That's the indicative. That's the fact. But there is an imperative. There is a command. 
And that is abide. Look at verse 7 again. If you abide in me, there is an if-then clause. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you. So let's, let's, let's stop there for a moment. What does it mean? What is God's word? What, what is this abiding in God's word? Well, let's go back over here to verses 1 through 3. And they help us understand. Remember, what we're preaching here this morning, what God's burden is, abide in Christ in order to bear fruit. We're talking about the first point, abiding in Christ. What does it mean to abide in Christ? Well, it means really two things, that through his word we abide in him and through prayer we abide in him. So this word of God, well, look what it says here in verses 1 to 3. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch, that's us, in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Well, what is this pruning? Well, the same Greek word that is translated prunes in verse 2 is, is translated clean in verse 3. Already you are clean or pruned, so to speak. Already you are clean or pruned because of the word that I have spoken to you. So here is the truth for you. It is God's word that prunes us after God has attached us to the vine. It is God's word that cleans us so that we may bear more fruit. And listen carefully. I want to speak just for a moment to those of you who might be here, I don't know everyone that's here, that would not be a Christian. Here's what this also teaches us. If you bear fruit, if the word of God makes sense to you, if you are living for God, you're a branch. Congratulations. You're there because God put you there. But if you aren't doing those things, then you're not a branch. And just very briefly, I want to cause you to just take a look at verse 6 just for a moment. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. That's just the reality of it. Branches bear the fruit of the vine. If a branch isn't bearing fruit, logically, it must not be connected to the vine properly. It's either diseased, never a true branch. It will then be taken away and branches are burned that don't bear fruit. So you're either a fruit-bearing branch or firewood. There's no in-between. There's no category for a fruitless Christian. Logically, that cannot exist. If you are here and there is no fruit in your life, I beg you this morning, receive the word of God. Receive the love of Christ for you, the same love the Father has for Christ. Receive his sacrifice for you. Repent. Trust him. It could be that today God would choose to unite you to the vine so that you might bear fruit for him. Okay, back to this passage. What does it mean as a branch to be pruned or cleaned? Notice there in verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. Well, I was just looking at an article on pruning. And if you will indulge me for a moment, I would like to read this article to you because I am not a farmer. I'm a city boy. And uh, I have no idea what pruning means. So I just went on to Google, how to prune a grapevine. All right. First sentence. Pruning grapevines can be a mystery. 
But if you remember that all grapes produce fruit on one year old wood, you have taken the first step towards viticulture. That's what this is called. Here's how to prune a grapevine. Allow the grapevine to grow any which way the first year it is in the ground. Sounds like a lot of young Christians I know. (laughs) Having abundant stems and leaves will help develop a strong root system on immature grapevines. No pruning at all for the first year. Thank you, Lord. (laughs) Now, if you've been a Christian over a year, okay, here comes the pruning. Two, select the strongest and most vigorous looking stem. And by the way, these these stems can be huge. The kind of grapevines in the Middle East, they almost look like trees. I mean, they're massive. I mean, these vines can be really, really thick and the and the shoots coming off, and the grapes certainly can be very heavy and weighty. So we're talking about not just a little frail vine, but a huge, almost like a trunk. Okay. So select the strongest and most vigorous-looking stem during the winter of the first year. Do you feel like you're in the winter of your, your, your walk with the Lord? could be the Lord's pruning you. Using bypass pruners, those don't look fun, Remove all the other stems at the base of the plant or as close to the trunk on the main stem as possible. Stake the remaining stem, which will become the trunk of the plant. Use a grape stake to secure the vine along the fence with wire. Allow stems to grow from the main trunk. In the spring of the second year, begin removing all but two of the very best side shoots. Ouch. That grow from the the trunk. If the vine isn't branching where you want it to, pinch the top of the main trunk to encourage side branching. You feeling pinched lately? God may be doing a little side branching there. Cut back the top of the trunk during the midsummer of the second year. When the vine reaches the desired height, the process of tip pruning will force new growth along the main trunk. Remove any new branches that don't fit your plan. Is God removing any new branches in your life that don't fit his plan? Though they were like your main plan? No, no, not that one, Clip. It it reminds me of a story that I heard recently of a certain individual in this church whose wife told him, say, go trim the bougainvilleas. I don't want to mention this individual, okay? But Jason went out and (laughs) trimmed the bougainvilleas back to the trunk. They were gone. You know, I mean, they was gone. Just all it was just this bare brown trunk. Corey is mocking Jason. Of course, I would never mock Jason. Too godly for that. Corey was mocking Jason. Corey tells me he comes back, I don't know, a week or two later. A full bougainvillea is back. You know bougainvilleas. They're like crazy. Okay? God does that. God, God could be pruning some of you right now. And it's painful and it hurts. But what he has in mind is future fruit that you can never even imagine. So trust him. Trust him. Trust him. Allow the vine to grow during the third spring and summer, removing anything that grows from the trunk. You want to retain the basic framework of the vine. Leave 12 buds along each of the arms during the third winter. Pruning during the third winter is crucial to future fruit production. All right. These 12 are the buds that will produce fruit during the wind. Fourth summer. Fourth summer. Four years. But if you've ever had a really good Merlot, it's worth it. It's worth it. Stay with me. It's worth it. 
These 12 are the buds that will produce fruit during the fourth summer. Each of the 12 should have one to two leaf joints so that the vine looks like a stubby hat rack. Yes, <laughs> when you're finished pruning. These are called renewal buds and will remain on the plant forever. Can I draw your attention to verse 16, please? You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. Oh, God loves you and wants you to bear fruit that remains forever. He's the only one that's forever. So the only way it can be forever is that we're in him because it's not our fruit, it's his fruit. Because here's the truth, friends. The life of Christ will produce fruit in our lives. The life of Christ will produce fruit that honors God. The life of Christ will produce fruit that abides, that brings such joy to your life and such happiness and such permanence and such dignity and such blessings that your life will shout saying, this is God. And you'll bear fruit that honors God, whether you're suffering, whether you're being pruned, whether you're prospering, doesn't matter. But it's his word. You see, none of this, you would know none of this if it weren't for his word. So we must be in his word. We must be in his word. A branch will be in the word not to gain access to the vine, but because it is attached to the vine. A friend of Christ will obey Christ not to become the friend, but because he is the friend. It is what branches do. They bear fruit. Otherwise, they're not really a branch. They're firewood. That's all he's saying here. And then secondly, look at the second part of verse 7. Amazing. How do you abide in Christ? Through his word. What does his word do? It cleanses us. You know, before we go to that second point, I've got to let you know this one scripture. It's in Hebrews 4. Hebrews 4. Oh, please write this down. This is a great passage. Hebrews 4 verse 12 is a wonderful picture of the word of God being, as it were, pruning shears. Hebrews 4.12. Don't know if it's up here or not, but Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Here, pruning shears. Piercing to the division of soul and spirit. Here, pruning, cutting of joints and of marrow. And discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Verse 13. And no creature is hidden from it. Oh, Lord, I don't want to be hidden from your word. Bring your word. Your word is what cleanses me. It's what prunes me so that I can bear more fruit. And so prove that I am a disciple. Not that the fruit proves anything, but the fact that he's producing the fruit in me says, yeah, there's a disciple. There's a disciple. Verse 13, and no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. All right, so that's the word of God. Next, prayer. How do we abide in Christ? We abide in Christ through prayer, prevailing prayer, prayer that seeks God, prayer that does not let go of God. Can I just tell you something? That in my own life, after Jerry Caesar's message about, oh, a month ago, I don't know if you remember Jerry's message from Matthew. Remember the olive press? I love that. It was a great illustration. Jesus was praying in Gethsemane. That word Gethsemane means olive press. It's this machine that separates the skin from the olive. I think I'd rather be pruned than having my skin separated from me. But anyways, both of them show us a picture of God getting 
getting glory to his name and bringing fruit to him and getting, really bringing happiness to us as he, as he gets us in that process. Ever since then, guys, I've been on my face before the Lord. I, you know, there's a temptation when I'm working in the text a lot that you can almost, I can almost like, well, that counts as a quiet time because I did get up really early and I was really studying the Bible, but I was studying the Bible to come give you this word. Okay, it's a good thing that I'm studying to give you this word, but I don't think that's what the Lord wants. He wants to, he wants to commune with Al. So the Lord's given me grace recently to just get up early. I've got 4,100 things on the to-do list and just get on my face and pray. It's glorious. It's glorious. Imagine that. I could have had a V8, you know, it's like, why have I been struggling so much? You know, why does it seem my life is just not fruitful? Well, Al, though you're not one of those branches lying on the ground that's ready for firewood, you're acting like one. Because you're not doing the very things that a branch does, abiding in the vine. You're not praying. So I don't pray to abide and get his favor. I pray because I'm abiding and I have his favor. But if I don't pray, I'm not really acting as one who abides. See, it's true. The indicative is true. Branches pray. Branches read the word. Branches abide. Branches bear the fruit of the vine. The fruit, the vital life of Christ flows through that vine into the branch, and that branch is going to bear the fruit. But I have to respond and obey. That's also true. Why why are we surprised by that? God is sovereign and elects whom he will. But we must repent and put our faith in Christ. Do you understand that? So it's the same thing here. So this prayer is vital. Prayer is key. Look at verse 7. Of course, we looked at that. And then, of course, verse 16. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Verse 16. That whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. This is the kind of prayer that says, I'm going to pray according to God's will and not my will. That's what it means to ask according to, in Jesus' name. It means to ask according to all that he is. This is the kind of prayer that is prevailing prayer. This is the most intimate and essential act of abiding in Christ. Do you know that when I was a, I was a assistant dean of men uh, at a Bible college many years ago, there were about 1,500 students. We had about 500 single guys, 500 single ladies, and about 500 marrieds. And so you can imagine, there was a constant eyeing of each other between the 500 single guys and the 500 single woman. You know, and everybody had a word from God who they were supposed to marry. You know? And I'm not advocating this, but part of my job was to be the cop that made sure that nothing happened that wasn't supposed to happen. Okay? And you know what we found? It's crazy. We actually had to warn people not to pray a lot together. What do you mean? I'm not going out to a club with her. I'm not taking her on a romantic date, looking into her eyes and telling her that I love her, you know, and defrauding her that way. But you know what we found? When people pray a lot together, they get really close. Because prayer is such an intimate thing. Yeah, the light should be coming on on some of you guys, you know, darkened minds. Pray with your wife. (laughs) Because that intimacy you're enjoying in prayer... It will bear fruit elsewhere. So pray with your wife. Okay. Half of you just woke up right there. 
Intimacy with God, abiding in the vine, yes, it needs the word, and it needs the word like, like you're getting it right now. Yes, it needs you to open the Bible and study. Yes, open Grudem Systematic. Read the glories of the Trinity. Guys, we're going to be doing that in a couple, of, I think next week or the week after. Yes, study, study, study. Yes, engage your mind. But you gotta, God wants to engage your whole being. And when it's four in the morning or four in the afternoon or midnight or one, and you're on your face, the TV's off, internet's off, and you're just saying, Abba, Abba, Daddy. I'm really hurting right now. I'm worried, Daddy. And you know how the thoughts just flood your mind? Just start praying those things to your Daddy. Turn off your, your agendas and your all that. Don't, don't, just, just seek the Father. Just spend time there. That's what we're talking about. Listen, look at verse 4. I believe that's what verses 4 and 5 are talking about. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. That's simply a fact of life. Neither can you unless you abide in me. So listen carefully to that figure of speech. Unless a branch abides, it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Now look at verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Now look, underline this one. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Al, how arrogant of you to think that you can preach one sermon apart from Christ. How arrogant of you to say, you know, Lord, I'm not going to pray because it's Sunday morning. I'm not quite through with my sermon and it's four o'clock. So I'm just going to work on my sermon. It is your word. And I am kind of praying. Oh, Lord, don't let me be embarrassed this morning. (laughs) You know, one of those prayers. But... But, but, but that's not it. Because subtly, what am I doing? Oh, I, I heard this yesterday from Brian Brookins. I am going to God and asking him for something to go serve my idol. My idol is your respect and your approval of this sermon. Idol. So I'm going to God with a quickie prayer Help, Lord, please make this one make sense. (laughs) I hate that look. (laughs) To serve my idol of your approval. It it would be like me going to my wife and saying, can I borrow some of your jewelry for the other woman that I'm taking out tonight? How hideous is that? Well, please remember that next time you do what I'm tempted to do, which is use God as sort of a heavenly bellboy, you know? A heavenly, like, you know, service that I can just get what I want to serve my idol. That is not the kind of prayer that's being talked about here. Okay? The prayer that's talked about here is saying, Al, you got to preach the, ser- the, the message? Yeah, just commune with God for a while. Oh, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. There's joy. There's joy. There's joy. And I cannot preach one sermon apart from Christ that will bring any fruit to God that's any good. I may be able to impress some people with oratory, but only God can change someone's heart to bring fruit to him, to reflect him, to be more like Jesus. The life of Christ in you will pray often to the Father. 
Do you have Christ's life pulsating in you? Do you have spiritual vitality that expresses itself in persistent prayer to God? The prayer of an obedient believer full of Christ's love will always be answered, whatever you ask. I say again, the prayer of an obedient believer full of Christ's life, full of the life of the vine, will always be answered. And this is how you abide in the vine. Well, the second point. Having now abiding in the vine through his word and prayer, we bear fruit to God. And quite frankly, I'm not going to spend much time on this because I don't think that that's the burden of this text. I think the burden of this text is abide. You know why? Because if a branch abides in the vine, it's going to bear fruit. I don't have to tell you to bear fruit. If you have the vital life of Christ in you, you're going to bear fruit. You're going to volunteer to help the children's ministry. You're going to go out and you're going to feed the poor. You're going to get baskets full of food for Thanksgiving. You're going to join the Christians Battling Cancer uh, organization that the Georges have, and you're going to volunteer. You're going to go knock on your neighbor's door and share the gospel. You're going to bring a track with you to work. And you're going to say, hey, at lunchtime, can I just talk to you about this Jesus whose life is pulsating in me, who I spent an hour with this morning, and I love him so much? The fruit comes from branches that are attached. So I think the burden of this message is attach. Understanding that he's the one that attaches us, but then we respond because we're attached. We abide. But briefly, what is the fruit? Here's the answer. 15.8. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. If you study carefully... The term, my father is glorified. If you listen to Corey's message from a few weeks ago, you will remember that at what point is the father actually glorified? What is Jesus talking about there? The cross. My hour has come. Glorify me. Glorify yourself in me, father. The glory of God is revealed on the cross of Christ. So therefore, the fruit that he's being spoken of here is the fruit that Jesus came to give by dying on the cross. Folks, the fruit is really making disciples, making disciples with the gospel. It's not only that, but it's primarily that. We bear fruit for God by doing, I think, these three things and others. There's no time to go into the others, but look at your notes briefly. We bear fruit for God by declaring the gospel to others. I believe that's opening your mouth. I believe that's sharing with others. Great testimony for you from our, our, my dear friend, Denise Krasinski, who has been sharing the gospel with a friend and... Uh, I don't see Denise here, but I don't think the friend's here. I asked earlier, but Denise, is the friend here? Great. That would have been a very awkward moment. (laughs) I asked, can I share this? Is the friend coming today? The friend was going to come today, but Denise drove by. She was sleeping. Not even her dogs were barking. That's Everybody was tired in the home. But the friend has been coming to Christianity Explored. So the life of God and Denise, she's not the evangelist. He's just flowing. Number two, we bear fruit for God by joyfully obeying Christ's commands. Joyfully obeying Christ's commands. Joyfully obeying Christ's commands. Look, look at what it says. Look at what it says in verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commands, you will abide in my love. 
just as I have kept my Father's commands and abide in His love. Look at verse 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Christ shares His joy with those who share His obedience. Hey guys, obey me like I obeyed the Father and you will obey me if my life is flowing through because what I produce are people that obey God the Father. So if you're connected to me, tranquilo, it's going to happen. In some areas, it might take a little longer. But you know what? When you obey me, you're going to not only share my obedience, you're going to share my joy. And I've got maximum joy. I've got the joy of heaven. I've got the joy eternal. I've got the joy that never ends. And it trumps all the false joys of obeying your sinful flesh. And I just want to read, I've got to read this to you. Listen to the joy of, of what I call the, uh, the, the crew, okay? Here's the crew. Jason, Sean, Nando, and then the crew, the people that put up with the crew are Caesar and Renata. And the crew does Christianity Explored every Thursday night. And listen, listen to what the crew, listen to the joy of the crew as they talked about the last Christianity Explored where we had one guest and it was Kim and brought by Denise. Listen to this. Hey guys, this is from Jason. I'm looking forward to tonight. Let's pray together at 6.30 if you can make it to the Marcellus home. The schedule for tonight is as follows. Thank you each for giving your time and thoughts and care to CE, Christianity Explored, and ultimately to God. It is Him we are serving. Nando writes back. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Nando writes back. Thank you for your leadership and constant encouragement. Can't wait to worship our God. It's going to be good. Please be encouraged. Jesus is working behind the scenes all the time. <laughs> all the time. Nando, writing after the Christianity Explored. What a great CE meeting last night. Jason, great exposition on the grace of God. Sean, in parentheses, Chan. I'm not sure what Chan means. Is that your new name, Sean? Chan? Sean, thank you for your insight and comments. Loved it. Good news. Kim, Denise's friend, is coming to visit Palm Vista this Sunday. The Lord is so faithful. CE is total success. And then we just thanked Caesar and Renata for hosting it in their home. And listen to what they wrote. This is from Caesar and Renata. Being able to host CE has been a joy. Now, we come in and mess their home up. We spill grease on the floor. We, we break things. You know, we, we, do, you know, we do all kinds of stuff, okay? Being able to host CE has been a joy and true blessing for, for Renata and I. We are glad to hear that Denise's friend will be attending church this Sunday. It's great to see God at work. Exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. Thank you for your leadership and your servant heart. And finally, we bear fruit by, for God by loving one another. Folks, loving one another has to include caring for the poor, feeding the hungry, concern about social justice, whether, whether it's abortion, whether it's racism, whether it's just people ripping other people off, the disenfranchised, the orphan, the widow. We've got a long way to go in this church there. But he commands us to do that. He says, he, he, twice, he says, love one another as I loved you in this passage. Twice. Because it's the fruit of the gospel. It's the fruit of the gospel. Well, let's conclude this wonderful time by communing and abiding in the vine. Ushers, would you please take your spots? Worship team, would you please come up?
Let's abide in Christ now through the means of grace of communion. Jesus is the vine. We are the branches. He may have been thinking when he said, I'm the true vine that night, of the very cup that he just finished drinking at the Passover meal, the cup of cursing, which he drank to the full. He may have been thinking of his blood that he would shed in just a few hours on the cross. The vine would be pierced and would bleed and would produce that which brings fruit to God. But certainly, certainly, Jesus Jesus wants us to abide in him through his word. And ushers, you can come down. And as we receive communion, we are receiving a picture of the word. This is a picture of the covenant of God. This is the picture of the indicative truth that Jesus offered himself as the true vine, that there might be fruit, and the fruit is us. And we, in a sense, we're drinking the fruit of his blood. Not literally, but that's what is symbolized. And eating his body. It's the fruit that, that, gives, that gives eternal fruit. That's eternal life. Jesus was preparing to go to the place where God would be glorified. That was the cross when he spoke these words Thursday night. The last night before he died, he died on Friday. This is the place where the disciples would be made to receive new life because he took the penalty for their sin. He took their death so they might have life. This is the place where sins would be washed. This would be the place where forgiveness would be won as he resurrected from the dead by the power of the Father. Let's go to that place now through this symbol of Christ's fruit-bearing sacrifice. In a sense, what we're doing is what this song is saying that we've been singing this morning. We're going to sing it again now. Lord, I want to be where you are. How sweet the place where you dwell. My soul longs and fates for you. My heart sings out a loud song of joy for I have known the living God. Let's abide with him now as we receive these elements. I'm going to pray. Ushers are going to serve us. While they're doing that, we're going to sing this song. You can stay seated. After everyone's been served, I'll come back up and lead us in particular. Let's sing now together. Ushers, you can be served.